1: Hello, Marketing Book Podcast listeners. This is Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, An Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching Technical Audiences. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello,
0: thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which is also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And marketingbookpodcast.com is also where you can send me a message with any comments, suggestions, or recommendations for the show. I love hearing from listeners like you from around the world. I'm also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MarketingBook, or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name, again, is Douglas Burdett. I respond to every single message I get from listeners, so please introduce yourself. And now, a word from our sponsor, which is where I work. It's a business-to-business marketing agency called Artillery. The companies that call in Artillery are typically frustrated with traditional interruptive marketing's declining ability to generate good sales leads and are overwhelmed with how best to use digital and content marketing to break through to the modern informed buyer. So if your company is struggling with transitioning to modern marketing, our all-hands workshop, buyer persona interviews, and content marketing plan may be just what you need to get unstuck and on the right track toward getting more qualified leads and more profitable sales. For more information, visit marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, On to today's interview. Today, we welcome Rebecca Geyer to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her book, Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. Rebecca Geyer was named by the Wall Street Journal editors among the 10 most innovative entrepreneurs in America. She is the CEO and co-founder of True Marketing, a full-service marketing agency uniquely serving engineering and scientific companies that target technical audiences. Prior to co-founding True Marketing, Rebecca managed marketing programs at a variety of technology and marketing companies and was a member of the marketing leadership team at National Instruments for 14 years, rising to director of corporate communications and investor relations with responsibility for global PR and internal, external, and leadership communications programs. And interesting fact She owns and drives not only a motorcycle, but also a tractor. Rebecca, congratulations on Smart Marketing for Engineers, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Douglas, happy to be here.
0: So you have a tractor, and you live in, your company's in Austin, you're in the great state of Texas, and also the co-founder of your company. Tell me what the record is, she's an award-winning fisher.
1: Her claim to fame, she will be so happy to have this recorded for the world to know that my partner, Wendy, has the record for the largest, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but generally speaking, it's the largest redfish in a Texas body of water. It was about 65 inches long. In the picture, she's standing holding it and it is taller than her.
0: Well, as I may have mentioned to you before, I did some growing up in Texas and people in in Texas there's mad respect for someone who who does that so Yes. That's pretty interesting. And what we'll do is we'll include a picture of her. A oh, picture, my picture gosh, of you, too, Rebecca. There. Don't worry. We're going to include a picture of her with the fish at the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. She is going
1: to be over the moon. Great. I just want major partner brownie points. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Sorry. Well, Rebecca, we don't let this be all about Wendy. You know, we're, we're going to talk to you here. No. You're the author of the book.
1: All about it. <laughs>
0: okay. So now a word to the listener. Before you tune out, because you think, well, I don't I don't sell to engineers, I don't market to engineers. I read this book and I didn't know if it was gonna make sense for the marketing book podcast. It is a terrific marketing book. And it's also, it was reminiscent for me of Bruce McDuffie's book, The New Way to Market for Manufacturers, yeah. where it's, I, I think about 95% of what we're gonna talk about applies to any company, I guarantee yeah. it. I can guarantee that to the listener. But what was so interesting to me about the book is the way that you went about explaining these things for engineers. So in other words, you're in an agency business, I'm in the agency business, and we're doing some similar things, and I'm always interested to see how others explain these things, because much of what we're doing these days is teaching, trying to get people up to speed. So what I wanted to start with, though, wasn't necessarily about engineers. I wanted to touch on that one story about Southwest Airlines and I realize that if you're from Texas and you write a book, you're required by law to, to write about Southwest Airlines. But you, you talk about uh, defining your niche and then positioning your company with differentiated messaging in your niche requires careful analysis along with a lot of courage and heart. So can you explain the concept of saying no to grow and why that's so important?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's a great story, actually, how I came up with that phrase, say no to grow. So Wendy and I started True Marketing in 2008, about six months before Lehman Brothers declared bankruptcy and the uh, Great Recession came into full swing. So note to self, don't start a business and leave your comfortable corporate job six months before a massive recession. <laughs> but uh too bad we didn't have the the foresight of that. So we went into, you know, starting true, we had a couple of referral customers from our own networks and then went into the rest of 2008 and looked at 2009 at our finances and literally had zero revenue in our future. And it was hard. I mean, it was really scary. Uh, and our husbands were like, "Now, why did you guys <laughs> why did you guys do this company thing?" Uh, Why was this a good idea?
0: Now, who at the time, though, who were you? Did you have your current niche or were you kind of? No,
1: we were we were. Yeah, we were just we were very reactive. It happened to be that a couple of them were in what we what I would say is our niche today. But it was also the Children's Hospital here in town and the United Way organization here in town. I had done work with both of them in a previous role. So we came into 2009 and we had no business. And we really had to take a step back. And and at the same time, a friend of mine who owns a marketing agency here in town met, you know, he said, Hey, Rebecca, come on over. I'm so excited. You know, I'm want to hear how things are going. And so I went over and had a couple beers with him. And he said, you know, so tell me who are the next three clients that you're just, you're chasing that you, that you just really want to have, you know, as clients for true. And I fumbled my way through trying to come up with an intelligent answer, but the reality was... I had no idea what the answer to that question was. And I went back and I told Wendy, I said, hey, here's a question. If I asked you this question, Wendy, how would you answer it? And we both realized we weren't being intentional about who our audience was. And so it made us really reflect and say, okay, you know, there's a lot of great marketing agencies out there, really smart people. How can we possibly come into this market and have a unique offering? What can we do better than anybody else? And it it really and, and who would we want to be our customers? And it really made us take a step back and say, "You know what? We are so passionate about marketing engineers. We know we know it better than anyone else in the world." And that's when we doubled down on that. And at the same time, the Wall Street Journal was doing an award. We ended up winning it, one of the 10 companies that were named in that award. And I was getting ready for this interview with a Wall Street Journal reporter. And being a a good PR person in my background, I got to have a soundbite. And my soundbite was, you know, not only did we survive, but thrive through the downturn, we did it by saying no to the companies and the opportunities that were going to distract us from the profitable, perfectly knit, you know, in our niche, ideal customer that we need to really focus on that we know we can do serve better than any other marketing agency in the country. And really now, as we expand into Europe, you know, there as well, So that's how it all started. And so then fast forward, when I was writing the book, you know, I wanted to focus on inbound marketing and explain this methodology. But, you know, as I say a lot when I speak, whether you're doing a trade show or you're doing full-on content marketing, and most companies are doing both, you have to have a really solid online marketing foundation. And that's your starts with your brand position and your message. So when I was outlining the book, and what I wanted to explain in terms of methodology, really from start to finish, it had to start with your brand position and message and. And uh, so that's where say no to Grow comes in. And I because Southwest Airlines is headquartered in Texas, I got to know their communications team, and we're both headquartered in Texas, so we shared a lot of public affairs, you know, you know just information helping each other. And so I got to see the ins from the inside out how incredibly effective and authentic and just fantastic their culture and their their personality and their marketing and their communications and everything they they do permeates from this core culture and focus on we're going to do one thing and we're going to do it better than anyone else in the world. And that is their focus on flying 737 planes all over, you know, anywhere they, they can, and they do it more efficiently than, and more profitably than any other airline in the world.
0: And so that affected like their routes and how far they could go and their training. Everything, and,
1: mm-hmm. Everything. who they hire, the pilots they hire, the the ground crews that they hire, you know, the other, yeah, uh, it limited, it absolutely limited where they could fly into, cause they can't do, you know, Dallas to Paris because the 737 won't fly that far. So it, it totally impacts their business model, but that's, you know, that is what they do and they're going to do it better than anybody else. They uh, communicate and stay so true to their message. So yeah, my two examples in chapter one are Southwest Airlines and, and National Instruments. And then, uh, and it's, we it's try to, as we say it true, we like to model good marketing behavior. So, uh, so, you know, we have our niche as well and we stay really true to it. So we refer a lot of business that comes through to us that's not a good fit.
0: Right. So you're you're working with companies that need you to help translate for scientific engineering technical audiences, I think. Right. So do you find that a lot of companies are struggling with this idea of trying to be all things to all people?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's really hard, especially the majority of companies we work with are smaller medium-sized businesses and, you know, they're are focused on, you know, they're trying to grow, they're trying to sustain and grow and turning down an opportunity is just it's i mean when i first start talking to him about it it's kind of heresy At the same time, when we get into brand positioning and messaging and marketing planning with them, and they start to see the data around the buying process moving online around engineers, I mean, research study after research study after research study, I've done, this is in North America, Europe, India, Russia, South America, it doesn't matter the region or the age of the engineer, the two most valued content sources, engineers say is uh, supplier vendor websites and search engines, primarily Google. And so when they see that data and then they start searching on the pains or the questions or the keywords, if you will, that their prospective engineers would be searching on, and they see that they're not showing up, they're not going to get found, you know, the, they see pretty quickly that they can't be all things to all people. They have to focus. And so I think in a lot of ways, this evolution, this real, really a transformation of the environment of marketing of that going from, you know, the, the business leader and the marketer being in control of where and when and how your, your pro- prospect is hearing your message to really now the buyer being in control that that transformation has really, it is a huge challenge, but it's also an awesome opportunity because now we can focus. We're really being forced to focus. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing. Um, makes your businesses more profitable. It makes it really clear to the buyer exactly who you are and what you do and if you're a good fit. So the the mutual fit process is a lot more efficient on both sides, on the buyer and the seller side. And yet
0: you write that, and I'm going to quote here, many technical business leaders are too busy to stop, focus, debate, and agree on a comprehensive strategic marketing plan. Instead, they rush down a reactive road that leads to mediocre results and higher costs in time, money, stress, and frustration. So what are some of the things that you've seen that have been able to help companies, I guess, get that light bulb over their head and realize, okay, we've got to focus. We can't be all things to all people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, for us in our unique area that we focus in, we're working with engineers and scientists. So, you know, where the pessimist, the glass is half empty, and the optimist, the glass is half full, The engineer thinks very logically the glass is twice as big as it needs to be. (laughs) So, so you, you know, you really, a little little engineering humor, you know, and, and the reason why I say that is because they have to, and this is for any company, you have to understand your buyer. And for us at true, what's been really effective and what creates those light bulbs is all the data that we have around the engineers buying process. And so for other companies, I would I would encourage them to think about, you know, how am I going to be able to stand out? How am I going to connect with that buyer? What's going to create light bulbs for my buyer? And, and so the data for us has been huge because if I go into a, you know, a disbelieving or, or you know, a, a business owner who is an engineer by degree, doesn't have experience in marketing. His arms are crossed. His arms, yeah. Oh yeah, his arms are crossed, but he knows that, I mean, his pipeline is not performing and he has no control over his destiny because he's relied on word of mouth. He's relied on some trade shows. Maybe he's done some advertising and and these channels are not filling his pipeline at the bottom. You know, they might fill them at the top, but they're not converting into opportunities that are converting into revenue. And so you've you've got to get control over your destiny. And so I start with data, and once they see the data, the engineering buying process moving online of of the content sources that they value, and it not being necessarily trade shows or print publications. Those are still important channels for our particular market, but they're not they're not the primary most valued sources. And so if you're biasing the majority of your budget and your resources on just doing activities where a fraction of your audience is is looking for information, you're missing this huge market opportunity of biasing the majority of your effort of your resources where engineers are going. And that is online and coming to your website. So this sounds so fundamental I know to so many of your listeners, but I am, I am just repeating and repeating and repeating to business owners all the time. The most important marketing investment you can make is your website. It's like your car. And then if you don't fill it with fuel, which is your content, you've got a really beautiful car, but it's not going to go anywhere.
0: Yeah. It's going to be like a beautiful car with the doors welded shut and no engine <laughs> in it. But it's beautiful.
1: It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's gorgeous. But it's not going to work to fill your pipeline. So that's where the content and the website and these fundamental, you know, concepts are what, you know, we're really trying to, to get people to understand. And right.
0: Let me ask you to step back. The, the term inbound marketing is in the subtitle of the book. And you talk about it quite a bit in the book. Explain what inbound marketing is. And perhaps as it relates to outbound, sometimes it's easier sure. to explain it that way. But also, what are the pros and cons of, of inbound and outbound?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. I actually, this is, these are two concepts that I usually start my talks with. So the way I describe outbound marketing is it's a, it's an interruptive approach to getting your message across to your customers by interrupting them. The simple example is a trade show. A person's walking down the aisle and you try to, you know, interrupt their path and bring them into your booth. You know there there are a lot of advantages to outbound marketing. One is that you can pick partners, say trade show exhibition companies, uh, publications, or, or publishers, so forth. You pay them, and you can tap into the audience that they've built, and that's pretty nice. You know you can write your check, and not to minimize the effort that goes into trade shows, because I. Very fully understand it's an enormous amount of work. But for simplicity's sake, you write your check, you get your booth, you show up for three or four days, you get a immediate burst of results in a pretty quick time, and you you go home and you've 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 injected, right? You've gotten a injection into your pipeline, some that are at the top, some are in the middle, some that your sales are gonna go chase immediately, and and you're good to go. You know, the downside of that is that you don't have control you're paying someone else i've heard you say before on your other podcasts it's a rented audience mm-hmm. you're renting that so as soon as you're you stop paying rent you get kicked out and you don't have any control over your own destiny you know long term it's a lot more expensive it's really hard to measure and even if you're spending the majority of your budget on trade shows for instance you still have to have the foundation that I talk about in chapters one through five. You have to have a very clear position and message. You have to have your buyer's personas defined. You have to have a, a fabulous website that is gonna bring people in and keep them there and engage them. Because what are people gonna do the first, you know, when they leave a trade show? Whether they happen to convert to a lead in your booth or they just walk by and see you and say, hey, I don't have time, but I wanna go check out that company. They're gonna to go to your website. So, trade shows are filling the funnel at the top, but you still have to have the foundation. So, but probably the biggest disadvantage of outbound marketing is that it's not where your buyers primarily are. They're online, they're on search engines, they're coming to your website. And if that's not where you're biasing your resources and your effort, then you're missing a huge opportunity. And your competitors are going to capitalize on that opportunity. So, so then you switch then, okay, well, then what, what is inbound marketing? You know, it's really an earned visit and it's earned through content. So an engineer is or a buyer is on Google. They're typing in keywords. Nowadays, they're typing in full questions and Google is offering up related uh, topics and they're either going with the one they had or picking one that Google's suggesting, and they get their search results. You know what's interesting is companies come in to you know they they're in their market and they and they are thinking about their competitors and of course, you know those competitors are are real and need to be taken seriously. But I challenge customers to think: go type in what you believe your personas are searching on those next 10 pages, well, all the pages of results, but in particular the next 10 pages, that's your competition. So if you want to get found and be considered and earn that visit over to the website, you've got to have great content that speaks directly to to their pain. So um, you know so the so the real benefits of inbound marketing is it's not a pay to play you're not renting you're building your audience over time it's much more measurable it's so much easier to tweak and modify and improve over time cuz it's so data driven so i'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners have seen the the great dilbert comic of the dilbert wants to be an engineer and the guy says oh no you got to have like way more folds in your brain for that you know you can't you can't do that and he goes well you know maybe i maybe i could do marketing and he go and then you know the person says uh, yeah oh yeah you can do marketing that's just liquor and guessing you know so so i like to share that cuz it's got the engineering tie but the reality is okay so marketers we like to have our happy hours and the liquor will probably continue but the good news is the guessing is getting a lot less there's a lot more data especially with marketing automation and sales automation so, um, so it's just so much more data driven, and it's where your buyers are. So, uh, so that's really, you know, the the comparison of the two.
0: And uh, just to add to that, you know, with the inbound marketing, it's one of the first times where companies are starting to realize that they're actually investing in an asset that's going to grow in value. So, in other words, the the traffic to your site continues to. If you're doing it correctly it continues to go up and you start generating you know I I've, I've seen some studies you know 75 to 90% of your leads are with content that it's not even new it's it's for you. Yeah, content so it's right it's going to start showing up on the balance sheet along with opt-in email addresses which are so valuable so you mentioned a buyer persona let's step back and explain what a buyer persona is i think it's one of the most powerful things in marketing that we've we've experienced and you know we'd love to tell everyone there's a secret sauce out there for, for marketing. Don't believe anyone who says that. But I think that buyer personas are pretty close to it. It's It almost gives you an unfair advantage.
1: No, it's, it's so true. And, you know, I, I actually have a chapter dedicated to buyer personas. You know, the buyer persona, it just, it allows you to have this focus on who you're writing to, who you're designing for, who do you want in your pipeline? You know, you can do, you you can just do a lot of activities and kind of kick the can down the road and get a lot of activity in your pipeline. But is it who sales wants to be doing business with? Is it the most profitable opportunity that your company is looking for? Is it going to give you the return on investment that you've invested in your products and services to create, you know, to deliver to the market? And so understanding who your buyer is, like how old they are, where are they located?
0: It's like a, a fictional representation. Absolutely. And you even give them a name.
1: We do. And, you know, I'll tell you that one of the best parts of our process of doing persona development, we require, when we do it, we require that customers actually put a picture, like a real picture. Uh-huh. We'll go find one on Google or often we'll actually use a real customer. Oh, they're just like, you know, Douglas, that, that we just need, you know, a hundred more like him. Okay, well then let's get Douglas's picture and put it up there. But a lot of times when when our team is doing the initial work to try to come with a draft of the personas, we'll have a picture up there and maybe the person is, you know, has a tie on or looks to be, you know, having a little bit more gray hair. Maybe they're my age, like 45 or 50. And, and it's so funny because you'll get in this room and you'll put the slide up and they'll just start... Like tearing it apart, like, no way, that guy does not wear a tie, lose the tie, and he doesn't have gray hair, he's 35. And and so the picture really helps, we found to really bring that person to life and giving them a name. Uh, we we have all of our personas at true. We have middle of the road Murray, high-tech Heidi, innovative Ian, uh, sales director Darren. And so it's so cool because when you see your customers starting to adopt these personas they become personified in conversation. So it'll be like, oh, no, Douglas, he would never want to read that white paper. And so uh, it's really cool when they become really fictional characters sitting at the table that that you're really all thinking about. So really, really powerful exercise.
0: So there was one thing in the book that just amazed me more than anything else. And that was when you said that it's talking about search engine optimization.
1: I knew this is what you were going to say.
0: <laughs> this is a part about engineers, okay? So if yeah, you've got to go, yeah. you know, turn off for a minute. But you said that 92% of all traffic on Google is driven by the page one search results. So in other words, if you're not on the first page, chances are not good. But only 5% of engineers stop on page one and engineers will go... 10 pages are deeper, then we'll stop on the first page. What the yeah. heck is going on there?
1: What the heck is going on? Yeah, so this is a great example of that other listeners and non, you know, not in, in just broader B2B markets can take away is really learning how your customer searches. So so what this is just fascinating data. So you know, 92% of all traffic happens on Google. So the entire human population of the world. You know, of all the millions of pages on Google, all the traffic's happening on page one, and yet engineers only five, it's even upwards of 9% based on different surveys I've done, um, go there, the stop there. So I think it's, it's a couple things. One, um, there's this great quote from Einstein that, I don't form an opinion on a matter until I know the precise facts. So, and I ask audiences, I'm mostly speaking engineers, and I'll say, how many how many people in the audience are engineers, M- majority are engineers. How many of you agree with that statement?" And all of them raise their hands. They're just very skeptical of what they're reading. They're very logical in their approach, and they will be relentless in search. So, I think in the same way that they are skeptical of ads and just marketing in general, and I've asked engineers this, you know, tell me about this kind of qualitatively. What, Why do you not stop on page one? Oh, pff, forget it. Page one's just a bunch of fluff. It's probably, and they come in at very skeptical. It's probably a bunch of marketing people like figuring out how to get on page one.
0: I'd like to think I have that power.
1: I know, I know, it's no kidding. But they just come in it, you know, very, very skeptical. So there's this good news, bad news. The the tough part for co- customers in our market and really uh, Content Marketing Institute and Marketing Profs survey, their benchmark survey shows this time and time and time again, and year after year, that the two greatest content marketing challenges are producing engaging content and producing content consistently across the board, B2B markets. And we we have the same issue in our market. Our greater challenge and what makes our mountain even steeper to climb is that we have to have engineers writing our content. We have to pull engineers off billable work, off of developing products, and getting them engaged in helping us develop really high-quality content. But the good news is there's kind of two pieces to this. Number one, engineers are going to be relentless, and they're basically blowing off the first couple of pages, and they're going. they're kind of really getting getting serious about what they're looking at on starting on about page three or four or five, and they're going to go really deep. And the second thing is, we've asked this a number of times now, and the most recent data, we have 811 engineers in our end sample that around the world, 92% of engineers say they're more likely to do business with a company that regularly produces new and current content. 92% agree or strongly agree with the statement. So that if that if that's not enough inspiration for you to be committed to content and uh, and your website and building this beautiful car and putting a whole lot of fuel in it I don't know what it mm-hmm.
0: But you said that I guess I'm wondering if, if after you presented that fact maybe they're persuaded but you you talk about how a study that you you all did with I think it was engineering.com they they talk about how they see blogging and social media as just a waste of of time. Yeah. Do, do you still get that pushback after you presented the data to these engineers?
1: Yeah, in fact, it's interesting. I had an engineer at Parker just last week I was teaching a workshop in Pittsburgh and they brought they brought this up and you know, I'm actually thinking about modifying how I ask that on my survey data because so, to summarize, what you're saying is when I ask about the most valued content sources, blogs, and I've broken out now linkedin and and then Twitter and other kind of Facebook um social media, LinkedIn always does LinkedIn and YouTube always are higher in value than than Facebook and Twitter. So I do think that there's value there, but blogs usually perform really low in terms of uh, engineers' stated value. I think that my hypothesis on this is that they have a negative perception about blogs from their consumer behavior and that they don't necessarily understand that blogs are actually web pages with incredibly valuable information. So again, this is my hypothesis. I think if I were to change, if I were to take the word blogs off and I were to put
0: vendor websites or
1: something like that? Well I have I have vendor supplier websites and that is always no matter the region of the world or the age of the respondent that is always number one or number two most valued content source. And so what I I've even thought about you know saying web pages with educational and technical information or something. Yes. You know, because it would it would like score you know so high. So again, it's a hypothesis. We absolutely encourage and like require that our customers have a blog and that they blog at least twice monthly, especially when they're starting. I mean, it's just core to any content strategy. So
0: yeah, I've heard also, I think it might've been David Beerman Scott. He was, he was in, in his latest edition of new rules in marketing and PR. He was saying, you know, you might just want to stop using the word blog.
1: I totally agree.
0: And so we've started referring to it as the educational section of your website.
1: Okay, see, I've been looking. This is so awesome. I've been struggling for like a couple of years. What do I call it?
0: Yeah, something like that. They think it's some guy living in his parents' basement, wearing pajamas, you know, blogging about some, you know.
1: ham radio or something. Yeah, or I, right. he's got
0: some axe to grind.
1: I agree. Okay, I'm going to steal that. Please do. Educational sections of vendor websites.
0: Yes, there we go. Awesome. Well, let's see if there's any other things we can work through here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. I, and the last question I want to ask about content, though, is explain why content is the most important asset to a search marketing strategy. It's as if companies want to do everything else except the content,
1: right? Cause it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, content is really hard. And again, not to minimize the trade show, but someone else is forcing you to write them a check, giving you deadlines. You got to show up on a particular date because people are going to be coming and, and then you leave. Right. And it's not easy, but it's, but it's like very clear. You're just going to do this and you know, basically the return you're going to get. In content, there's a lot of competition, especially you know more and more every day, especially today, and, and so it requires you to focus. It requires you to make really tough decisions about who your market is, who are you going to be, and who are you not going to be? Are you going to be reactive like we were when we started? Or are you going to learn the hard way and, and actually focus and define your persona and then really study how you can uniquely serve your market in a profitable growth oriented way and build your audience over time. As Joe Pulizzi talks about. So, so, you know, content, it is the fuel, as I say, it is the currency of sales and marketing today. It is that exchange of information that, that gets you found that builds your, your, your chance of consideration, that builds preference, that ultimately builds trust and, and converts to revenue. Yeah. I mean, it's content all the way through from getting found on that very first search all the way to, you know, and winning that web visit, you know, getting that visitor to engage in your website and and ultimately convert into a lead. Now they're starting to give you their first indication that, okay, I'm giving you my name. Maybe I'm giving you a Mickey Mouse Gmail account, but but I really want this information, right? And so it's just this way to keep earning this relationship over time. It's all content.
0: Yes. And I've only had two people named Rebecca on the Marketing Book Podcast so far. (laughs) I would like to have more, obviously. We're a rare breed. (laughs) Yes. And so the other Rebecca so far is uh, Rebecca Lieb. And she wrote a book and the title is called Content, The Atomic Particle of Marketing.
1: Mm.
0: And I just thought, you know cool what? title. I bet your audiences would probably understand. Oh, oh, great! Atomic particles, got it. Yep. Yeah, scientific. But it's mm-hmm. it's it, what you just described reinforces what her book was about about how that is the atomic particle. Everything flows from that. Now, Rebecca, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about is sure. there's, there's not time to go through all the stuff in the in the book that I like, but. One part you explained what marketing automation software is, and I realized we probably haven't talked about that a lot on the podcast. Could and the way you explained it was really terrific. I mean, a lot of marketing automation software, you know, the information might come from a provider, but I like the way you tra- you translated it, you know, to to for the civilian world. Can you explain what marketing automation software is and and why it's become so important, if if not a,
1: a requirement? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I welcome the the opportunity to explain it. And and I tell audiences today, you know, your next marketing and sales hire might just need to be software and not a person. And that's a really a way to think about it.
0: Might even be less expensive.
1: Oh, I mean, and super efficient, and they don't and it doesn't talk back. So, you know, marketing and really and sales automation together. So I, I have this talk I give the six grand challenges of marketing to engineers, and my my sixth challenge is don't bother them. And the whole the whole premise of that is based on some data. So the data of the buyer journey moving online, the data that um, our data shows that over eighty percent of engineers want to. Again, it's obvious search on vendor websites, talk to colleagues before working with the company or interacting with the company directly. And the third is, and we've asked this a couple times now, how many interactions on average do you have with a vendor before you're ready to engage with sales directly? And on average, it's about three to four, 15% even say five to seven or more. So with all of this knowledge that we have, that all the facts that the buyer journey is moving online, sales is getting involved far further down in the buyer's journey you have sales and marketing need to work a lot more closely together and you have to have data about when to engage with that prospect so marketing automation fundamentally gives you this intelligence about when someone converts on your website you can start to see everything that they're doing and you can with context start to interact with them and nurture them and offer them follow-on resources in an automated way. You can set all these up, again, all persona-based. So you, you build your personas into your marketing automation system so that if someone, you know, if if someone uh, downloads this white paper, they're most likely Persona X. And so I'm going to offer them, they're maybe at the C-level or they're an operations person. So I'm going I'm to send them down the path of getting more information from us that's more operational versus if someone downloads this white paper that's very specific to a particular application, they're likely a design engineer or they're an automotive engineer. And so I'm going to send them down this other path very specifically about the challenges of doing dynamometer testing, for instance. And you can learn... So much about what they're clicking on and get smarter and smarter and smarter about the contextual conversation that you have with them, all the while getting information and intelligence about that, that marketing can then pass to sales. So that when that person crosses a threshold that's customized, you know, every company has a different threshold, marketing qualified lead, sales qualified lead. When marketing passes that opportunity, that lead to sales, sales accepts it and I do sales for true. So I show this a lot when I'm in sales calls, I can show someone, here's everything that you did on our website. Clearly you're interested in content marketing, or you're interested in, you know, whatever it might be. So it makes, it makes the sales interaction just really a continuation of a conversation that started online and is now person to person. And it makes it a lot more efficient it, and it, and it makes it the right time from the buyer perspective. So you don't bother them, let them do their research, continue to engage with them in an automated way and then offer all, you know, pass all this intelligence over along with the lead to sales when it's time for sales to to engage. So it's just the most powerful, I just cannot say enough about marketing automation. We're a small company and we use HubSpot marketing automation, sales CRM, our whole website is on uh, their CMS. So we used to be more technology agnostic, you know, believing in marketing automation, but I can say now with 100% confidence that if you're a smaller to medium-sized business, say under 500 million uh, with a database in the tens of thousands, HubSpot is just, uh, we're just sold. I mean, we've just seen so much impact to our business from it. And in terms of the value we get for what we have to pay.
0: Yeah. And I'm a orange Kool-Aid drinker myself where (laughs) we lead the hug group where in in our market and keep going to that conference. But, you know, when I have shown a prospective customer (laughs) how this works, I've noticed some of them get kind of freaked out. Yeah. Like you were just saying, you'll show them, look, I, I show them where you were. And sometimes that's kind of funny, but it's interesting. But, you know, I think if they had to do it all over again, it would be better if they would have called it sales and marketing automation. Because most of the companies I look at are more interested in it from a sales standpoint.
1: Yeah. And they're certainly, you know, evolving their models. So now, you know, the the CRM and, um, you know, is really core to their their whole model and marketing and sales and the CMS. Those are you know, all, you know, pieces of the CRM core. So it's really, really fascinating. And I'm actually uh, working on an outline for book number two.
0: Oh, really? You heard it here
1: first, folks. Uh, You heard it here first. I haven't said it publicly until now, but it's all about this, this funnel sharing, having an accountable, uh, shared funnel between sales and marketing that is customer centric.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. So Rebecca, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
1: Yeah. So, you know, for, for people who are marketing to technical audience, the, the message is I think inbound and content marketing does work in the space, but it requires a very thoughtful, unique approach. You know, that this persona, this target audience is skeptical, logical, logical, right? It's the glasses is, is twice as big as it needs to be. And so it's just, really thinking about that audience and being smart about it so that's what I would say you know a lot of a lot of people a lot of engineers out there are you know disbelieving or dumbfounded at best or disbelieving at worst that this can work and my message would say it does work absolutely we see it with true and we see it with all of our customers but you have to have courage um, because it's a marathon it's not a sprint you know more broadly I think in the kind of just the, the marketers in the broader B2B space, just know your audience very, very, very well and center all your marketing, your tone, your content, your website, your message, your calls to action, your sales approach, materials, everything around your customer.
0: Amen. <laughs> so what books have inspired your work and career?
1: You know, I, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of business books and I've read so many, a lot that I quote from built to last, good to great, the original inbound marketing by Darmesh and Brian at HubSpot. We use the EOS model at True. So for the small businesses out there, that's been huge for us, the get a grip or traction books. And I actually teach the EOS model for our customers now. Oh, wow. So, and then I, I have a real passion for leadership and how leaders communicate. That's actually where I started, first started working with Southwest Airlines. I, I just loved their tone and their courage in their communication. And so I ended up creating a leadership communications workshop at National Instruments. And part of the required reading for that was Rudy Giuliani's book. It's just called Simply Leadership. And um, he was in the process of writing it when 9-11 happened and uh, of course, he's the, the mayor of New York uh, City at the time of 9-11. And so he wrote the final part of his book after 9-11 that is literally riveting in terms of how he and his team made decisions and served to lead the city and really the country when planes were literally flying into buildings. Hmm. And uh, it's just, uh, it's amazing. So interesting. Yeah, those are those are a few. Well, good.
0: So are there any uh, recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading?
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually, right now I'm reading Confessions of a Public Speaker by Scott Birkin. Um, It was recommended to me. I was just at Content Marketing World a couple months ago where we met, where we met. Yeah. And yeah. Doing a panel discussion with you and leading the industrial marketing lab on the last day. And anyway, I uh, so I was there for the week and got to attend some of the sessions. And I went to the session on, uh, oh, you know, being a better public speaker. And one, well, one of the speakers in the session recommended it. So it's been great. You know, I I do a lot of speaking now all over the world. In fact, next week I'm going to Cyprus, just just south of Turkey to speak. So you know not such a bad gig here and there, but I've always, you know, wanted to improve my skills. And I thought, you know, that's probably a good idea. So reading that one. And then the other two I'm reading are Challenger Sale, Challenger Customer.
0: Two of my favorites.
1: I know. So I've actually finished the sale and I'm in the middle of the Challenger Customer and it's just awesome.
0: Well, we're just going to have to get back on the phone at some point, because <laughs> I want to know what you thought of those two. Those are really two of my favorites. So I think that a lot of listeners are the same as you, where, you know, people who are listening to this, a lot of them read books, they're they're very interested in helping their business and, and certainly helping their career. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your book?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the best is just our website, uh, truemarketing.com. So it's T-R-E-W Marketing um, com. And then, of course, the book uh, is right on Amazon. I've been been over, you know, the the months working on reviews. So I'm proud to say I think I'm up to 13, five stars. Oh come
0: on, listeners, let's let's get her over the.
1: <laughs> yeah, um. yeah. So that's super. So yeah, just on Amazon, and then we have a blog that we blog twice a week, and you know, a lot of it is is uh, just like the book, and like you said, Douglas, a, a lot of the the principles that we write about and blog about can be applied across any market. It's, it's not specific to engineers, but usually the examples and the data that we'll reference will be engineering, you know, related, but that's true marketing.com slash smart marketing.
0: All right. And also in the book, you mentioned true marketing.com slash smart marketing for engineers.
1: Oh, smart marketing for engineers. That's the, that's the book page on our website. Um, so yeah, smart marketing for engineers or Amazon. Um, you know, either one. Well, we're
0: going to make it really easy for the listener. All they have to do is go to marketingbookpodcast.com and look for Rebecca's interview. We're going to have all these links on there. So the name of the book is Smart Marketing for Engineers, An Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching Technical Audiences. The author is Rebecca Geyer. Rebecca, thank you very much for being on the Marketing yeah,
1: book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. I appreciate it. It's been fun.
0: And that closes the book on episode 147 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback on or suggestions to improve the show or perhaps if I can make a book recommendation or you want to send me a bottle of single malt scotch, I'd love to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or tweet at me. My Twitter handle is marketingbook or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. And please join us next time as we welcome David C. Baker to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his newest book, The Business of Expertise, How Entrepreneurial Experts Convert Insight to Impact and Wealth. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.